This is day 226 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing 1 Timothy chapters 3 through 6 today. We'll finish off the book. Lord Heavenly Father, you are so trustworthy. You are so glorious. And we are so not. And the more time we spend in your word, Lord, the more we feel it. The more we feel the filth that is in our sin and the filth that is in us being born into this nature that is contrary to you. Lord, we are grateful that you are able to purify us, that you are able to bring us into a righteousness that we cannot attain for ourselves. Lord God, thank you for having such mercy and compassion upon us. And likewise, may we have that with others, not only those that are within our own church, but also with those that we meet day to day that the gospel may be spread, and that we may be Christ-like. Please bless the reading of this word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times 
Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead, even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever.
A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and therefore share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Christ Jesus and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about works, out of which arise envy 
strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Congratulations for finishing First Timothy today. Let's review what we read today. Chapter 3 is often referred to as the qualifying characteristics of both the overseer and the deacon. So being in the church myself in leadership, I'm familiar with these because these are the grounds that we look at as being the bare minimum qualifications for these offices. An overseer, the actual word here is bishop, and that's usually the word referenced here, but other churches call it reverend, perhaps, or pastor, but it's all referring to the same thing. The person mentioned here, the overseer, is the 
primary person in the church, the principal official. It's very clear that your leaders in the church are called by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who truly qualifies you, not what kind of a degree you have or what kind of popularity you have, how well you interview, but it's the Holy Spirit that calls a person into leadership. Because don't forget that Christ is the head of the church, and so he is responsible for who he wants in his leadership. It mentions here that the overseer is supposed to have very good qualities in how they hold themselves. And it says they're the husband of one wife. Now, what is this talking about? The literal Greek says a one-woman man. So therefore, that means that not only do they not follow polygamy, they can only have one wife, which is how God intended it anyway, but rather, they have only been married once. So it's debatable whether or not it's talking about only having one wife ever, or if you have been remarried, if you lost a wife due to death or whatever. Typically, that's acceptable as well. But ultimately, it's showing that this person has allegiance to one woman and one woman only, and that's the one that they're betrothed to. Can you have a pastor who is single? Yes. But if he is married, then he only belongs to one woman and does not believe in polygamy or anything else that is perverted. These qualities are things that we tend to look at when we are looking for a pastor. And they have to meet these qualifications, because these are God's qualifications. And he makes a very good point. If this man cannot manage his own household, how can he manage the church of God? So if his kids do not obey him, they do not respect him. His wife hates him. Obviously, he's doing something very wrong. And their home life is indicative of something that is a deeper problem within the individual. So he is not somebody that you want to bring onto the payroll, so to speak, because he cannot manage his own house. Therefore, there is a character flaw within him or some form of sin that is festering within him that will cause your church to be in decline and division over time. Things will not go well for a church that is not blessed by God. So we need to make sure that we follow these guidelines to the letter. But not only that, but he also needs to have a good reputation outside the church, with family members, with friends, at work. All these places that we go, do people think well of that person? If they don't, then, well, there's a reason why he's probably not meant to be a pastor. So we need to make sure that we are thorough in our investigation of anyone that we desire to bring in as pastor. This is especially a hot topic for us right now where I am, because my church currently does not have a pastor. And so this is definitely on the forefront of our thoughts when we are looking for a candidate that fits this role. The second half of chapter 3 refers to the deacons. Now, the deacon in the Greek is diakonos, which means either minister or servant. So we read in the book of Acts that deacons were created in order to be the physical helpers of the elders. The elders were the spiritual heads of the church, and the deacons are the 
ones who meet the physical needs of the church. So in my church, for example, we consider deacons as family ministers. And so typically what a deacon does is if they are chosen to be a deacon, and this is decided by nominations through the general congregation, and then it's voted upon, then that person is ordained as a deacon, and they are entrusted with specific families within the church where they are responsible for their physical and emotional and spiritual needs. So anytime they need prayer, the family is supposed to go to their respective deacon. They can go to any of them, of course, but it's best to go to the one that is the most familiar to you. So the deacon is responsible to make sure that they are checking up on their families often, making sure there's anything to pray for, any physical need to be met, any hospital visits, so on and so forth. And with that, if you have all the families of a church represented by a deacon, then that should be a very healthy church because they have someone that they can go to in times of trouble. And that person is not always the pastor. You know, that's why the deacons exist, because the pastor is one man. I mean, he's got a lot of responsibilities. Not only is he the shepherd of the congregation, but he's also in charge of the business of the church, like the financial situation, the physical building, as well as devoting himself to prayer and prep for his sermon. There's a lot of stuff that he has to do. It's a big job. And so he needs hands that he can delegate to that are able to support the members of the church. And that's where deacons come in. Both the overseer and the deacon are highly honored in the kingdom of God. These are not things that we just want to be simply because I want the accolades in heaven. That's pride and selfishness. But if God calls you to be a deacon or to be a pastor, it is a great honor. And not to quote Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. There is a lot of truth in that. Because just like if you're a manager or a supervisor or a CEO of a company, being a deacon and a pastor of a church is a leadership role where a lot of people look at you. And therefore, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard than your average person does. Because everything you do is going to be scrutinized. Now, I learned early in my career that you can't always make everyone happy. You have to do God's will in all things. Not everyone is going to be happy with that. And it's for different reasons, usually not good ones. But if it is through the Spirit of God that we do things, then those that are spiritual will recognize it, and they will agree that it is the right course of action because it's God's will. There will be those that are not godly, and they will try to cause some sort of dissension or some sort of conflict. And we have to resolve those conflicts before they get out of hand. In chapter 4, Paul recognizes that there is going to be heresy that will be infiltrating the church, and it has been for a very long time. There will be false teaching that is inspired by demons, and it will be promulgated by means of the hypocrisy of liars. So, obviously, the Christian is supposed to live according to the Word of God. 
But it's important we don't renounce the world for a life of self-denial, because that's not biblical. So we don't want to forbid ourselves from marriage or forbid ourselves from foods, because God has given us everything for our enjoyment. Catholics, I'm talking to you. But not only that, but we're not supposed to plunge into indulgences, because like it talks about here, riches can really corrupt a man. But also, we don't want to worry about things that don't really matter. Like, for example, it mentions in verse 7, we're not supposed to listen to worldly fables, things that are not real, but are legends or superstitions, things like that. The Word of God is the only authoritative thing that we need to worry about. The other thing is bodily discipline is important, as, which is something I'm failing at, but spiritual discipline is far more important. Now, I'm not saying that's a license to not take care of your body, don't hear that, but if you're going to pick one, being a gym rat or being a Bible thumper, then it's more important to be a Bible thumper in the sense to where you're spending time in the Word and you rely on it. And really, if you are being led by the Spirit, then all these other things will come into place as they should. A strong spiritual presence will cause everything else to make sense and fall into place. Now, for those who teach, in verse 11, he says to prescribe and teach these things. So this is something that we should definitely know about as leaders, but it's also saying that we're supposed to teach this. So make sure that we're teaching this. Verse 12 rings true in my ears, especially. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. More often than not, in any of my professional roles, as well as within my church, I'm usually one of, if not the, youngest person in the audience. In my building where I work, I am probably the third youngest person, and yet I'm the manager of it all. In my church, most of the people that are in my Sunday school, for example, are middle-aged or senior. So at first it used to bother me that I'm the young person and all these older people are probably looking at me like, look at this whippersnapper. He doesn't know what he's saying. He's just young and stupid. I used to have low confidence because I was young and they were not. But if I go by what the Bible says, if God has given me a gift of teaching and preaching and I do it even at a young age, don't let people look down on my youthfulness, but rather live by an example that they should be following as well. I can be an influence to someone who is older than me. So that is something to consider. Verse 13, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Your church needs to be publicly reading Scripture. But we usually call it in my churches responsive reading. We definitely need to keep doing that. Exhortation and teaching is an absolute must. Never give up Bible studies. When COVID-19 was big, that was on the table. Let's cancel Sunday school and cancel Bible studies. No, 
do not do that. What's the point of a church without the Bible? So <laughs> don't throw away the very thing that preserves our souls. Never neglect that. If you're going to neglect something, neglect something that's maybe a social function or something that is not as important as Bible study. You can never sacrifice that. Verse 16 calls us to personal accountability and personal holiness. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. I am a sinner, just like you. And sometimes when I go and stand in front of my group in Sunday school, for example, I'm not always in the best place spiritually. I might be struggling with a sin, I might be in a trial, and I may not be in, a, in the best of moods. But there's one thing that I will not, absolutely will not compromise. And that is warping and distorting the Word of God, despite what's going on with me. By doing that, I would be putting condemnation upon myself and those who hear me. I refuse to do that. And neither should you. We need to have that ability to pay close attention to ourselves, keep ourselves in check, hold ourselves accountable. What we say is important, and it cannot be distorted. It has to be the true, unadulterated Word of God. Nothing else. Chapter 5 is how we need to conduct ourselves with people within our church. The first part shows you how to deal with people who are older or younger than you. Then it deals with how to treat widows. Then it talks about how to treat elders, especially those that are in some sort of a sin. And then it mentions not to drink water exclusively and use a little wine. That is not for us. Paul knows Timothy very well, and he might be a kind of a nervous individual per, by the sound of it. And so he's encouraging him to use a little wine to help his stomach. These words are implying that Timothy was a total abstainer from wine and that the advice is in relation to a medical problem that Timothy has. So it's not saying that we need to drink a little wine to help our stomach. It might help, but this isn't a biblical command that we're not to drink just water. Okay, let's make sure we understand the context of what's going on here. Paul is looking out for Timothy like a father would a son. We also have to be aware, as leaders of a church, that sin is within us all. And for some people, it's quite evident because it goes before them, right? It's obvious what they do. But some are more secret than that. They're hidden. They follow after. So we need to be careful to make sure that we are not allowing evil to fester within a church. A cancer needs to be cut out of a congregation like that. If not, it will cause division, it will cause strife, and it will not go well. So that's why deacons are also important for this, because they can catch wind of that stuff before it becomes a problem. And then they take action and remove the problem from the midst. Chapter 6 begins with how a master and slave relationship needs to be. And then it talks about false teachers. And this is an important one for today. 
If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine confirming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Usually you can sniff those people out pretty early. If they are focused on particular things that are not biblical, and yet they're saying that, oh, God has shown me this, things like angel numerology or prophecy, God has been speaking to me and God says this, or Jesus is telling me something that is not in the Bible, this is a new revelation, be very careful with those people because those are false teachers, those are false prophets. And usually those are work of demons. And no wonder, because Satan himself appears as an angel of light. I'm not going to stop saying it until we get the idea that not everything in a church is perfect and godly. We are in a fallen world, and the forces of evil are very cunning. And they will appear as what you expect them to appear. But you got to be careful with what's going on inside. That's why the Word of God is very clear about certain signs and things to look for, because those warning signs are there, and if we're paying attention, we'll be able to sniff it out. He gives many more examples of what to look for in false teachers as well. And then he goes into what it means to be godly. Godliness actually is a means of great gain, when accompanied by contentment. If you are discontent all the time, that is not a godly attribute. We have brought nothing into the world, and so we cannot take anything out of it either. We should understand that. And like he says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. You're not expected to have a big house. God is not going to make sure you have to have a car. You're not always going to have the highest paying job in the world. Life is not going to always be easy just because you're a Christian. Those things are temporal. Those things are not needs. Those are wants. If you trust God, he promises to always give you what you need, not always what you want. Now, we do know this about God, that he is very generous. And he usually gives way beyond what we need. But he only promises that you will get what you need if you trust him. Now, this particular verse is always taken out of context. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? No, that's what the world will tell you, but that's not what the Bible says. It says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It is one way to all kinds of evil, but it is not the way to all evil. Money corrupts very well, but it is not the only thing that corrupts, but it is a very common way it corrupts. Then the remainder of the chapter is Paul giving his final exhortations to Timothy before he concludes his letter. But he definitely reminds him that we are to keep ourselves pure and unstained from this world. There are going to be many things that try to change that in us, but we need to make sure that we not only behave properly, 
but also to teach others to do the same. That is our responsibility. Even if you're not a pastor, even if you're not a deacon, you're not a Sunday school teacher, you can still teach and live an example that Christ has shown you. And it really is infectious to show a certain level of godliness. It really is. People notice because it's different. It's different from the world because it is anointed by God. So that's what we need to be. We need to be godly people. And so we need to instruct people how to be godly, and then we hold them accountable to it. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.